who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And now, a special edition of the Toddcast Podcast. Powered by Citywide Mortgage Services. Providing complete financing and mortgage services for residential and small commercial businesses. Visit them at citywidemortgage.ca. Now, here's your host, Todd Hancock. When the world slows down and you can really take a look at your life and what's going on, because for the most part, everyone has a pretty busy life. Things coming, things going. But every once in a while, you really should try and slow things down. Take stock in your life. It's almost a walk down memory lane. There can be definite moments of nostalgia. And and for the podcast, it's digging through the archives, right? Like finding those golden moments, revisiting some of the most outstanding guests that you've heard over the years. And without tooting the horn too loudly, we've had some brilliant minds on the podcast. Straight up creative geniuses and downright fascinating guests. And you're going to hear from this week's musical guests in just a second. Coming up shortly, in Stop Me If You've Heard This Before, Canadian Olympic curler Emma Miskew talks about her workout schedule and what it takes to compete at the national level. That is powered by FKP MMA. Learn self-defense, build your self-esteem, prepare yourself for the unknown. There's something to be said about being able to protect yourself and those around you. One of the owners, one of the coaches, Jaden Martin, recently had a fight in the BFL. He won by knockout 31 seconds into the fight. Nice work, Jaden. My youngest, Levi, has been going a couple times a week. He's into his third year now. Absolutely loves it. They are Vancouver's number one training destination at fkpmma.com. First, let's get to those musical guests from over the years, all of whom are now powered by the Hawkins Sound Ranch. Get over 20 years experience, and you can use their state-of-the-art studio as well. Commercial sound on an indie budget. They do great work. Check them out through the hawkinsoundranch.com. So do you remember where you were when you heard that Alice in Chains singer Lane Staley had died? Back then, I was still in radio. I was hosting a show on Fox called The Six O'Clock Rock Report. 
and that was all about the music news of the day. There was live performances and stuff. So that stuff was kind of always on my radar. And when it came out that Lane had passed, we learned that he had died like two weeks prior to the police finding him. It was a sad, sad day, of course, in rock. And a day that you would think would pretty much mean the end of Alice in Chains. But fast forward a handful of years, and in comes new and current singer William Duvall. And right around the time that William was a guest, they'd been on tour with Guns N' Roses, he talked about meeting Axl Rose and how cool and what an honor it was to open up for GNR. Totally, totally. Oh, gosh, what an honor. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, we're just, we're just happy as fans of that band that this is, that this is, uh, that this is working out, um, right. that they were able to do this. And then, you know, we're happy for our friends, uh, Slash and Duff, you know, um, who we've, you know, sort of shared a friendship with for, for quite a while now. Um, and then to be asked to, to, to be a part of it, oh, that's just icing on the cake, really. I mean, we're, um, we were totally honored to play those first two shows that at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas back in April, um, prior to their even sort of really launching the this tour they're on now. That's right. That was amazing. That was that was total history in the making there. And and um, then we got we, we did the first five stadium shows with them, and and then we just did Seattle with them last week. So yeah, totally amazing. And um, I mean, when when rock music in 2016. Can, can do that kind of business when an American rock band, you know, American hard rock band can do that kind of business to where it transcends rock music. It transcends almost, it transcends music almost. It becomes this like sporting event type, you know, level thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's incredible. That's really incredible. I like that William was excited about meeting Axel opening for GNR. And when he was a guest, it was in part to promote his other project called Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. And if you haven't heard about this band yet, it's made up of members of Alice, obviously, with members of Mastodon, the Dillinger Escape Plan, Mars Volta, and Death Clock. Pretty rowdy combination. Listen to William talk about his career highlights. Wow, gosh. Uh, okay. I would say, yeah, the GTO album coming out, that's a big thing. Uh, and I would say that playing Madison Square Garden with Alice in Chains on the Black Diamond Sky Tour, like Headline in the Garden, that was, that was a big day. And uh, I would say that South American tour that we did, I believe it was in 2013, that was big because... I just couldn't believe the audiences in Brazil and in Chile and in Argentina. And, and I mean, it was just, that was like one of those uh, tours where it's like, okay, well, this is, this is why I signed up to be in a band. Like this was every kind of glorified scenario, you know, people you can't leave the hotel, you know, people just camped out, people, you know, uh, the, you know, accosting you at the airport, um, just the, the the explosive energy when you're on stage, uh, like it, it was it was unique. Um, you know, obviously we played a lot of great shows, but I, I remember that tour as just being a nonstop wave of, of, of energy and, and adoration, the likes of which I I'd never experienced. 
From a staple of the Seattle grunge sound to an American singer-songwriter you'll know for so many genres, blues, folk, soul, rock, reggae, Ben Harper has released 12 studio albums and is well-known for his outstanding outstanding live show. We talked about his first concert experience, seeing a legend at a young, impressionable age. I was almost 10 years old, and it was in, in North, North Hollywood, Burbank area, a place that it's closed down now, but it was an outdoor amphitheater called the Starlight Amphitheater. And it was, as you can imagine, an incredibly memorable experience, even for a youngster. It almost made it more profound. The times I had with my dad were far and few between, so they stand out with an absolute clarity like nothing else. And uh, the whole thing is clear as a bell. And you don't realize how rare it is until you get older. Now I tell people I saw Bob Marley. It's like telling people I saw Jesus. Mm. And were you playing music by then? Like, did that influence you at all, that one show? I had one of the youngest record company, record. I had one of the youngest record collections on my block, which mm. was just starting to take shape at that point. I didn't play music then. I did. I mean, the center of the house was a piano, and there were guitars everywhere, which my parents and my mom actually, you know, if you put your hands on your parents' expensive instruments often enough, they will eventually get you your own. (laughs) So I would keep putting my hands on my mom's like fancy Martin guitar, and finally she's like, oh no, you're going to have to have your own. Right? Like, how does that compare to your first concert seeing Bob Marley? Mine was Dr. Hook. It was in the early 80s up in Kitimat, BC. And no offense to the Hook, of course, but Bob Marley slightly crushes that. So Ben's an absolute beast in the music world, of course. A three-time Grammy Award winner, seven-time nominee. At the 40th Blues Music Award, Ben's song that he did with Charlie Musselwhite called No Mercy in the Land was named Song of the Year. Here, Ben talks about the music industry and the focus on releasing singles over albums. I wonder, you know, because singles, that's what was, that's what started the music business was singles. Elvis and the 45s and the A and the B side of the 45s, they preceded long play LPs. Right. Um, and it seems like there's a good chance in the next 10 years we may be getting back to the single or at least uh, EPs, which are extended plays, which are like three or four song um, CD, uh, three or four song um, record yeah it releases so I, I I still love making albums um, there's a part of me that would on occasion follow the trend of singles but I mainly plan on I think it's about I think for Steve's question it's about if you're gonna be an album a, a group that wants to make an album a body of work keep it tight keep it to 20 you know 40 minutes or so and I think I think uh, that'll not only sharpen up the choices you make as a as a in, in the process, but it'll also um, give people a chance to get to the end of it, get all the way through it. From a three-time Grammy Award winner to one of the most successful rock bands of all time, Def Leppard, formed in 1976. It's the same band member since 1992, the band you see right now touring, making music together for over three decades. They've sold over 100 million albums. They have two diamond albums, which mean over 10 million albums sold each, with Pyromania and Hysteria. And when Def Leppard's lead guitarist, Phil Collin, was a guest, you heard him talking about the bands who influenced Influenced him early on in life. You know, I grew up in London, so you know that the radio was it, it, back then. You you couldn't just listen to everything. That's what what you know, when I got to North America, you know, you had all different 
genres of music playing all the time, and it was in everyone's DNA. In England, you really had to search it out. And like, you know, the, the Stones were disciples of the blues, and you know that that kind of was evident. As were you know Zeppelin and stuff like that. So uh, we got a lot of the stuff secondhand from from the stuff that was there. But just growing up, you know, anything that looking back that actually was, was good. Now, I mean, anything from obviously the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, all that stuff. But then, you know, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Beach Boys records, you know, when I was very little and, and, and knew that there was something special going on. So, uh, you know, was, my first concert was Deep Purple and then I got into guitar after that. And then uh, and then just a mixture of everything. You know, I saw Joe Pass, the jazz guitar player, playing in Ronnie Scott's club when I was a teenager. And um Again, being in London, you know, there was access to a lot of stuff, and it was uh, right across the board. You know, you know, I loved Tina Turner. I thought she sounded great. You know, and a lot of the Motown stuff was was, was killer and funk stuff, and then you know, heavy metal, and then the punk thing. You know, I just saw you know just purity and and great stuff in in all of this music. I didn't kind of just let a you know a genre. It's because I'm you know a rock guitar player. Just listen to that. So I, I think that was a, a very healthy appetite you know and i think that early on when i just said well i like this for because i like it you know if it was some really cheesy pop song you know i could still like it as much as i would say you know a deep purple song and it's so cool to hear who influenced phil considering the band that he is in def leppard ranked number 31 on vh1's 100 greatest artists of hard rock number 70 of all time and of course they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame back in 2019 all of it, you know, it's, it's not it's not a blur. It's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. But I think one moment that stands out um, that kind of shocked me is when we got um, we we went to receive our diamond album for Hysteria, and and it was in a, a this Roseland Theater in uh, in New York City, and there was it was the first time they'd ever had this event. So it was there was only sixty eight artists who would ever achieved it, and um, wow. There's Elton John, there's Billy Joel, there's ZZ Top, there's the Pink Floyd guys, Zeppelin, there's Us, Metallica, I mean, you know. Uh, there's only a handful. MC Hammer was in there. I mean, it was just right across the board, all in this one room. And I remember going up to the podium, you know, because everyone went up and said, you know, thank you and da-da-da and all that. And I said, well, this is great. And, and I looked out at the audience and then I just saw, you know, Jimmy Page, Elton John, and it was like, wow, they're, they're, they're peers. And from Def Leppard's lead guitarist to a legendary American singer-songwriter from Williamton, Delaware, how cool was it to hear George Thorogood on the podcast? I mean, you could not turn on the radio in the 80s and not hear George's music from Bad to the Bone, I Drink Alone, Who Do You Love, One Bourbon, One Scotch, One Beer, classics. Listen to George talk about his first concert and the impact that that had on him. first concert I ever saw was Chuck Berry. Oh, wow. Yeah, I uh, my uh, my mother of all people um, actually had a school and uh, said you got to get up up over to Pennsylvania. It was it was quite a, quite a ways from where I lived, and uh, to to see him and I had you know I, I I was vaguely aware of him. I was very young. I was vaguely aware of uh, Chuck Berry. And he, I know he, he was very instrumental in. And, and getting the Rolling Stones started, and and I heard a couple of his songs. Didn't know that much about him, so uh, but that was my first show. So uh, hmm. what can you? Where do you go after that? <laughs> no doubt, man. That's like talk about setting the bar right out of the gate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I may add, I got to meet him that night too. Oh, cool! Was, 
Yeah, it was very cool. and was very polite and gave me an autograph. And, and uh, he had a local band called the In Crowd that was playing with him. Um, it was playing pretty much contemporary things, and they backed him up. And he was really good, and the band was really good, too. And they weren't a bunch of young kids who didn't know how to play. Um, they were professionals. And uh, he, uh, he gave us on a concert, you know. And uh, I, I, I was allowed to go in and, and kind of stand at the back um, because it was it was a bar, you know, it was a tavern. I was, I was a little kid, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, But I, the music hit me. I understood what was going on. I mean, that is a damn good first concert. And I guess you could almost say the start of The Road Traveled. George and his band, The Destroyers, have released over 20 albums, two platinum, six gold, over 15 million albums sold. He's still banging away, still touring, still playing for the fans. I think that this year is the 50th year for the band. And you'll love this, honestly. Not even sure how I managed to get him talking specifically about this one song. But here George shares what stands out about writing Bad to the Bone, bad Well, there's a couple of things about it. I mean, I, I really wasn't interested or did much songwriting. I still don't, really. Um, but at that time, I know we needed a uh, something more if we were going to... I could see the dawning of, like, uh, MTV. Mm-hmm. And we were touring around doing these song, shows with the Rolling Stones and Jay Giles. And we had an opening lick to Love Stinks, the opening lick to Start Me Up or um, or Honky Tonk Woman, the crowd would just erupt. And I so said, you got to get a signature tune. And if you don't, it's going to be five, ten years from now, people are going to forget about you. And it's just saying, who's that Thursday guy? Wasn't he, wasn't he good at playing Bo Diddley or something? Mm, right, right. And I said, no, no, no. If you want to last, you gotta, you got to get some tunes there, you know. And as time goes on year after year, Todd, if you look at somebody, the average person walking down the street, with the exception of someone like the Beatles um, or Bob Dylan, you say mention mention five thoroughgood songs. Well, they might be able to mention two, maybe three. That's on a good day. But if you got one, then you've survived. Toddcast Podcast musical guest visits are powered by the Hawkins Sound Ranch. Use their 20-plus years of experience to record at their state-of-the-art studio. Commercial sound on an indie budget. Visit thehawkinsoundranch.com for more. So you want to be a cowboy, make your mama proud. Sing a song about heartache with that southern sound. You wear your
sipping on PBR. Oh, your quick is a hit girl. Opposing at the local bar. You ain't fooling cause I know that you know. Before on the Toddcast podcast. Historically, Canada's Olympic curling teams have consistently dominated the global stage. Unparalleled skill, precision, and strategy. And you'll know Emma Miscue as second on Team Hawman, one of our best curling teams. They represented Canada at the 2018 Winter Olympics. More on that in a sec. Emma clobbered the competition when she was younger. Four straight provincial bantam championships from 2003 through 2006. This at a time when no other curler had even won twice. And when Emma jumped on a Zoom with us, she talks about the value of hardship in curling, the camaraderie, the adversity, the ups, the downs. We talked about winning her first Grand Slam final in 2011, playing in her first Canada Cup, the disastrous, here it is, the 2018 Winter Olympics, the first time Canada was ever 0-3 at an Olympics. She talked about her business, Shimmer and Oak, pre-game superstitions, great stories, seeing NSYNC in concert, gambling, the Beatles, classic rock. She shared a near-death story, the show she was binge-watching, and stop me if you've heard this before, Emma talked about her training regime and what it takes to compete at the national level. Yeah, so when we're at home, um, practices, I practice six of seven days a week, um, and if I'm by myself, I'm out there for about an hour. If we have a team practice, it's usually about three. Um, and then on top of that, I'm doing some sort of physical activity, whether it's working with my trainer, um, interval training or cardio on the off days. Um, no, not on the off, like every day. <laughs> and there's one off day right. where I'll actually just fully recover and maybe do a yoga. Uh, so it's uh, multiple hours a day that go into the training Um, And it's more just, I don't think everybody puts the same amount of time into their training. I think it depends person to person on what individually 
you need in order to perform. Uh, for me, I never want to feel like I didn't do enough. So it's hard for me to turn it off. So I'm, I'm always out there until it feels perfect. But then there's other people who, if they go too far, it actually is more detrimental to their performance. So they have to cut it off at a certain point. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's really just up to the individual. Stop me if you've heard this before on the Toddcast podcast is powered by FKP MMA. Vancouver's number one training destination at fkpmma.com. And now, highlighting our next Blue Light Sessions, powered in part by Canadian Club Whiskey. Meet your new cold one. We serve Canadian Club and Ginger ready-to-drink cocktails at all of our live shows. Visit canadianclub.com today.
band is Sleep Circle, and their song is Condition. As of Friday, February 23rd, you can see them. That's only three days away. TikTok, Blue Light Studio for the Toddcast podcast, Blue Light Sessions. Again, it's Sleep Circle and Freeborn Soul. And I'm going to play something from Freeborn Soul later on. These are super, super fun nights. Each band... Cole's notes for you. They get 45 minutes set. There's an interview and the performance. You can ask questions of the band as well. Maybe the first 15, 20 minutes max of the uh, 45 minutes. It's not just me talking, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Intimate, interactive, buy tickets early, save five bucks. Uh, it's 20 bucks right now through eventbrite.ca. Event, B-R-I-T-E, eventbrite.ca. 25 bucks if you want to roll the dice and hope there's still tickets at the door. Doors are at 7 o'clock. The show gets rolling about 8, 8.15, 8.30 at the very latest. It'll go till around 10.30-ish. It's a fairly early night when you think about a Friday night. Played you Bend Sinister, B-E-N-D, Bend Sinister, and a new song for them called You Got What It Takes. They were part of a night at the Rickshaw Theater about a month back, a big night for those guys, with Spendo, Brass Camel, there was a handful of other local bands. I think that they raised over $7,000 that night and donated all the charities to BC Children's Hospital. I'm not sure if, if I'm allowed to talk about this just yet, but I was asked to host next year they're already thinking of next year's show and of course my response was a re- you know i'm like if i'm here yes it's a resounding yes it was such a success that they're going to do it all over again a band together band together was what they called that night so look look for it for next year as well so coming up in just a few minutes in listen to this retired bc lions quarterback travis lule talking about his career highlights that is powered by our good buddies at tedco rv supplies out in langley rv service repairs icbc accredited eight year sponsors absolutely key to why we've been able to continue making podcasts over the years big big love to tamra and her crew down at tedco find them through tedcorvsupplies.com they're also on facebook and twitter at tedco rv supplies speaking of football went to the super bowl there was a big party last weekend at the title sponsor citywide mortgage services at the owner's place dara great to hang out and meet some new people and meet some new friends and of course you're always like the life of the party walking in i walked in with a couple flats of nude vodka nude beverages uh, they're back on as a sponsor for the entire year they signed on again thanks to mike you can get cans of nude vodkas at all of our live shows at blue light studio as well and of course anything mortgage related talk to dara and his team at citywide mortgage Uh, mine's coming up um january next year so no doubt there's going to be a late summer early fall sesh that's going to happen and kind of formulate a game plan on how we tackle this crazy crazy market all right so let's get back to more guest highlights in our over the years podcast and some sporting guest visits all of whom are powered by hand over hand textiles in vancouver naturally dyed goods for your home for your body bandanas and socks and dishcloths and shirts and scarves and pillows and all that kind of stuff you'll love their work man i mean it's literally top notch and the cool thing is they only use pure plant extracts natural fibers so it's actually good for Mother Earth. They are locally owned. They are locally operated. Find them through handoverhandtextiles.com and they're also on Instagram. So you'll best know Brittany Palmer as a former longtime UFC ring card girl. She won ring card girl of the, of the year at the World MMA Awards five times in 12, 13, 19, 22, and last year, 23. She's a model. She was on the cover of March 2012's Playboy magazine 
And did you know that she's an accomplished artist as well? I um, I moved uh, to Los Angeles about six years ago to go to art school and, um, you know, kind of just per- pursue my passion in it. And, um, you know, I, I learned painting through YouTube videos. That's how I, that's how I started. I was just obsessed with YouTube and um, I got good enough and I thought it, I had a, I was posting things to Twitter back then. There was no um, Instagram, mm-hmm. but I would post things and um, all the fans and, you know, the people who would follow me loved it and they actually wanted to buy a piece. And um, that's when I thought, oh, shoot, maybe I can make this a career. Yeah, so I like, did. Dude, they're really good. They're really good. Thank you. Have you always you. had the artistic bug? Like, does it go back to you being um, a kid, maybe high school? Yeah, I've always, you know, I, um, when I was in high school, you know, I was in art classes naturally, um, but I was always really, really good at it and mm-hmm. just, you know, picked it up. I used to draw all the time on my binders and stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in Las Vegas, so that's, there's not a lot of culture there and, um, you know, there's not a lot of art culture, so I didn't really think that I could be, that that, that could be even an option. Mm-hmm. And then right out of high school, I was a professional dancer and I danced in the Big Vegas shows and, um, you know, I danced at the Flamingo for three years and I was at Planet Hollywood and so, um, so I was artistic in that way. Mm-hmm. And then I was, uh, I was in a really bad car accident when I was 21 and it kind of hindered my dancing. Um, and I couldn't walk for like three months, so then... I took a little back, you know, dancing took a back seat and, you know, I picked up the brush and started to paint. It's cool, right? You can check out Brittany's work online. You'll love it. She's really good. She's raised over 100000 bucks in donations through her paintings. She's had exhibits and been featured at galleries in L.A., Miami, New York, Hong Kong, Milan. Super impressive stuff. A diverse lifestyle, different career paths, too. Uh, one of the interesting things about Brittany was that she started her performing arts career dancing in Las Vegas. Shows like Jubilee and X Burlesque at Bally's and the Flamingo. And it wasn't until she got into a bad car accident that left her bedridden that she started working on her art then moved to L.A., studied art history, worked with acrylics, oils, and aerosols at the University of California. Listen to what Brittany says about career highlights. Um, you know, I think that it would be, you know, the first time I went to Australia, I was with the UFC. So that was just kind of, um, you know, and I just kind of, I just gotten into the UFC for, I was only maybe in for a couple months, and I was already flying to Australia, and I was just, you know, in awe. How thinking, cool is that, like, right? Oh, like, what? Yeah. Like, this is my company. Like, this is where mm-hmm. I go. This is, they give me a hotel. Oh, shoot. I'm getting a per diem. Oh, my gosh. Like, Crazy. I really am here for free. Mm-hmm. And I get to do something I love. And, you know, and then there are times where there's fights. Like, the fights that happen, you know, here at the Staples Center or, you know, that just passed. Or there's always, like, or when, you know, Connor lost his belt to Diaz. Like, that was, like, a highlight. It's just something that you just to be a part of something so big and, um, you know, all of it really. From a former UFC ring card girl to an NHL all-star, you'll know Vincent Trocek as a center for the New York Rangers, selected by the Florida Panthers in the third round, going 64th overall back in 2011 in the entry draft. Vincent was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so he said it was one hell of a trip the first time playing against Sid the Kid. Starstruck by any player that I played against? played against or met or or whatever i guess yeah uh i think the first time that i played against sid um in pittsburgh my first year i don't know if i'd say starstruck but it it was pretty surreal i mean i growing up in pittsburgh i I looked up to sid and um 
for his first, I think it was five, six years um, before I came to the league. I, I obviously everybody was in awe at how good he was. So um, going against him, I think it was like the first face off of the game uh, at center ice. I got to go against him and it was pretty <laughs> surreal looking across, across the center dot and seeing him. But once the game starts, it kind of all fades away. Yeah. Yeah, fair. I mean, obviously, being you know Canadian and him scoring that huge goal in uh, the 2010 uh, Olympics, like he's a freaking, he's a legend. Guy's a legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what a cool memory for Vincent to have, hey? As you would expect, out of an NHL All-Star, he was part of this year's festivities. He's been a strong hockey player his whole life, since the get-go. Played in the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament. He worked his way to the bigs, playing with the Panthers AHL affiliate, the San Antonio Rampage. Scored his first NHL goal against the Devils back in March 2014. He signed a six-year, $28.5 million contract with the Panthers in 16. Went to the All-Star Game that year as well. Traded to the Hurricanes in 19 then to the Rangers in 21, then it was a seven-year, $39.375 million contract. This is great. You'll love this. Vincent talked about his career highlights and the standout memories from his first NHL game. No, it's tough to do. I mean, I haven't won a Stanley Cup, which is the main goal, and everything everything else, individual accomplishments, stats, and stuff like that they all kind of mesh together. Yeah. I did win a world junior championship whenever I was still in junior, which is one of my biggest accomplishments. Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And can you remember the first uh, game you played in the NHL? Yep. It was against Buffalo when I was playing for Florida. I got called up at, at the deadline, um, played the last 20 games my first year, um, played Buffalo game one, Boston game two. How long before you got a point? A point? I'm not sure. I scored my fifth game. From one of the NHL's best to one of the best to race at NHRA, Del Warsham started racing in 1990. The next year became the youngest driver at only 21 years old to win NHRA Rookie of the Year. I did. I did. I just I got really lucky. Um, Dude. Uh, just just getting to just getting to drive at all. You know, I, I always wanted to be a, a drag racer, but I never knew what capacity was to be a driver or a worker or a tuner or just, you know, a mechanic. Just something in that world. And and then it kind of it kind of so some things some some events took place that all of a sudden there I was twenty years old driving the car, and um, my first season in nineteen ninety one, we were doing pretty good here and there. But I was the only full time I was the only full time guy on the team. So basically on on Thursday nights I would go to the airport pick up my dad a couple guys we'd run the race Sunday nights I'd take them home and then I'd get the car to the next race and uh, we got about five races in or about five races in and we got to Atlanta Georgia and we didn't have a the best running car we didn't have a bad running car. And things just started lining up, and you you could tell like we were we were doing pretty well. Next thing I know, here I'm I'm in the final round against uh, against Mark Oswald uh, in Atlanta. And and true 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 story, we we were going home after that event. Basically, there just wasn't enough money. We we're gonna go home, work, save up our money, and pick back up in the summertime. Wow. ACL Coast Southern Nationals in Atlanta, and and won the damn race. So now I have twenty thousand bucks in my hand, and uh, that was enough money to, to to keep us going and keep us racing and. I was so shy and so naive to what was going on. I, I didn't even know that there was like a press room, a press conference room when he won the race. So I remember standing there and I was all done and I just turned 21 years old. And I'm looking for a beer and there, it's a dry county and there's no beer and I'm tired. And, and Kenny Bernstein grabbed me and says, hey, we have to go to the press room. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to no press room. They're like, oh no, you're, you're going. So <laughs> I have to go to the press room with Kenny Bernstein, um, uh, Bob Glidden, 
and I believe I forget it was top field, but it was somebody like Joe. It was somebody very big. You know, it was, it was three of the biggest guys. So I was up there with them, and it, it was a great time. And if you do a little bit of digging into Dell's career, he's one of a handful of people who have won championships in both top fuel and funny car. 33 career victories, eight in top fuel, 25 in funny car. Listen to Dell talk about G forces exerted on your body when you race and the differences between top fuel and funny car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause I, I've driven both cars back when I first started driving in the early nineties, I actually drove both cars in competition during the same time at the same events. I raced the U S nationals one time in both cars and, and one rounds in both cars, one first round, six minutes apart. And, uh, the wow. funny car, Let's start with the funny car. I drove it first. You sit real way far back in a funny car and you can't see anything moving on the side of you. Whereas like there's, there, there's no, there's no like a sensation of speed because there's nothing really going by your peripheral vision. You can't see things going by where let's say like in an airplane, when you're taking off on the runway and go along, you see the buildings on the road. Then all of a sudden the airplane rotates and it just goes to blue skies and you don't know, you don't know you're going fast anymore. Mm-hmm. So the fuel car, you can see things going by you and, and the sensation of speed is very great. Uh, you sit low and you can see the front wheels turning. You can see the guardrails going by and it just feels like, it feels like what you would imagine with 330 miles per hour. <laughs> Our sensation of speed is not there. Anything, you know, you're driving into this little spot out there and you're trying to look over to the engine and it's making noise and it's smoking and there's fire out of the windows and you're just trying to win and, and, and you're going down the track and, and not unless something goes wrong or something throws off your sense of what's going on. Do you understand how fast you're going in a funny car? Cause nothing's just really there as opposed to the top fuel car just feels very fast. And right. it definitely, when you go to stop, both cars are about the same when you go to stop. My favorite part of the run has always been like pulling the parachutes. You pull the parachutes, you let off the throttle and everything just gets quiet and you basically just float it's over 300 miles per hour with shoots out. And it's, a, it's definitely an accomplishing feeling. And from one of the best NHRA drag racers to one of the best bobsledders in the world. Originally, you saw Kaylee Humphreys race for Team Canada at the Olympics in 2010, in 14, in 18. She was the 2010 and 2014 Olympic champ. She got bronze in 2018. But in 2019, she jumped to representing the United States because of alleged abuse and harassment that she says she faced from the Canadian Bobsled Federation. She won three IBSF World Championship medals for Team USA in 2020 and 2021 and is a five-time world champ, the most decorated woman in bobsled history. Listen to Kaylee talk about what stands out from her first time going down a bobsleigh track. The very first time, the very first time I went down, actually, I was driving. And they had started me out. Because I switched down to 17, you have to be 18 to compete internationally. Okay. Uh, because of my ski racing background, uh, the team had wanted me to start driving. It takes about 8 to 10 years to build a really good bobsled pilot. And so the whole thought was, knowing my ski racing background, I should be able to be a good driver. I'm young. If they start me young, I can spend 8 to 10 years in the sport and develop really well. So my first trip down, I was a... I was a pilot, and I had no idea what I was doing, none whatsoever. <laughs> um, they kind of give you, and they, they teach you as best they can, but realistically, you have no idea of the feeling or what it's, you know, what's going to happen, how hard do you steer. They tell you how to steer and where to steer, and you do a track walk, but you really have no idea, and they, they kind of just push you down, and here you go. And it's, it's kind of one of those, everyone starts out the same way, and you either make it or you don't. You're going to crash every run, or you're going to be right. able to to make it down the bobsleigh track and I was good like pretty good right off the bat as a pilot uh, made it down no crashes for a couple weeks 
Um, and then I ended up having a really big crash, and it resulted or kind of pushed me more towards the Brakeman Avenue for the next couple of years. So for three years, I was a Brakeman until the 2006 games, and then I tried my hand at piloting again, um, which was good. I think I just needed time within this sport uh, to learn the sport and to be able to to go to an Olympics and, and see all of that. So the journey unfolds. Uh, as does my story, but the very first time I had no idea what I was doing, and <laughs> of course it was so. a little scary. I won't awesome. lie. And second run, I had to be a brakeman for another guy who was in the same position I was. Um, and so you kind of swap back and forth. I was a pilot; he was a brakeman. Next run, he gets to be a pilot; I have to be his brakeman. Right. Uh, so you're kind of learning together, and and so you just kind of grow within the sport that way. And it um, it was fun, exhilarating, but also a little bit scary. Could you imagine that, strapping yourself into a bobsled, humming down the track, and what an adrenaline rush that must be. Kaylee is also a monobob gold medal champ, and because she's won medals for Canada and the U.S., she's the first woman in Olympic history to win gold medals for two different countries. She's also one of the first women to pilot a mixed-gender team in a four-person bobsled competition, and she was a flag-bearer at the 2014 Olympic closing ceremonies. Very cool. I mean, at the end of the day, we'd won. There was a couple interviews and stuff over the next couple days to do. And I remember getting a phone call um, a couple days after we had won from Steve Podborski. And he called me on my cell phone, and I was like, this is weird. You know, the chef de Michon is calling you. And the, my first instinct was like, what did you do? What did you do? It was never to, you know, go to that good place. And he called and, you know, asked if, if I would like to be flag bearer. And to know that your country supports you and chooses you to represent them. And it wasn't just about Olympic performance. It's not just a, a one-time thing. But, you know, to, to walk in carrying your flag representing an entire nation and team because of, you know, your performances over the last couple of years. Canada had tons of good performances in Sochi. You know, you have... Charles Hamlon, Mikhail Kingsbury, like the list goes on and on. And so to know that, you know, the Canadian team chooses you to, to represent them and carry the flag is an, a huge honor. Yeah, um, and to talk it all off, it, um, yeah, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. So I was, yeah, more than thrilled to, to accept, <laughs> and that was definitely an experience of a lifetime. The Toddcast podcast is powered by Milano Coffee bringing you the finest espresso and coffee concepts in the world. Online at milanocoffee.ca.
listen to this on the Toddcast podcast. If you're a fan of football, of course, you'll know Travis Lule, retired BC Lions quarterback, played with the team for 10 seasons, 2009 through 2018, an integral piece of the puzzle in skills, leadership, resilience, named the CFL's most outstanding player in 2011, was named most valuable player at the 2011 Grey Cup prior to playing with BC. He was quarterback in the NFL with the Seahawks and the Saints. And despite multiple offers to go move from the Lions, Travis retired from pro football in 2019. And when he was a guest, we talked about binge-watching The Office in Single Parents. He shared his first concert story, which is great, his first football memory, Aliens Visiting Earth, talked about that, talked about realizing your true potential. Legalized Weed came up, so did Superpowers. He shared a near-death story about backcountry dirt road driving story. Say that one five times fast. And Travis talked about his career highlights as well. Listen to this. <laughs> yeah, this one's easy. The career highlights hoisting the cup in 2011, man. That was, uh, you know, it becomes more fun in hindsight, too, just to recognize how special that was. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people know the story. You may have been around for that or paying attention, right? But we started the year 0-5, and, and, you know, halfway through the year, we moved back into BC Place, and we got to playing really good football, and we were just on fire the rest of the way as we moved back into the building it was just packed and rocking everyone everybody wanted to see the new place the great cup was in vancouver you know we win our final game which means we get to host the western final if we win the west final we're playing in what amounts to a home great cup and then we we got we got it done right just in front of a rocking house um such a cool venue that did the cfl justice you know at, the, at our pinnacle moment and and i gotta be directly involved in all that so that was obviously really special his name the mvp of the game we hoisted the, the trophy overhead and the orange and white confetti and yeah it was a fairy tale ending to a tough start and it's just you know it was a phenomenal life lesson for me and perseverance and, and overcoming the negativity and adversity at the beginning and so you know it's something that you know other teams has, have used as an example for years we've gotten countless stories from teams Right. You know, high school coaches and teams in other places that uh, we started slowly and we referenced the 2011 BC Lions, you know. And so to be uh, to be a part of that, that kind of story and to be able to tell that story and yeah, it's pretty cool. kind of make an impact years later was uh, was pretty dang cool, man. Yeah. Listen to this on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by Tedco RV Supplies in Langley, an ICBC-approved repair shop. Visit them on Facebook and Twitter at Tedco RV Supplies. Red Truck Beer, delivered fresh, the official beer of the Toddcast podcast. I'm alive, I can feel the blood running through my veins tonight. I'm inspired by the sights and sounds that Wow.
running through my veins tonight I'm inspired That band is Freeborn Soul and a relatively new song for those guys called One Day at a Time. And you're only three days away from seeing them playing a podcast, Blue Light Sessions. So it's on Friday, this Friday, February 23rd at Blue Light Studio in beautiful East Vancouver. You heard Sleep Circle earlier on in the podcast. They're part of the show. Freeborn Soul, both bands get a 45-minute set. I will interview both bands during the performance. As mentioned earlier, you can ask questions of the band as well. It's very intimate, very interactive. Buy early, save a few bucks. Five bucks right now through eventbrite.ca. It's 20 bucks. I don't mean you get them for five bucks. You save five bucks. Eventbrite.ca. That's all Toddcast shows through eventbrite.ca. 25 bucks at the door. Doors are at seven o'clock. Show will start around eight, eight fifteen ish, something like that. You heard one of my favorite Vancouver punk bands called You Big Idiot, and that was their song called Jesse's Song. And you are now less than a month away from seeing them at the Rickshaw Theater in, in Vancouver. This will be a great night. Check out this band, uh, this lineup. So it's on Friday, March 15th, Rickshaw Theater. It's the Dreadnoughts with Balkan Schmalkin and You Big Idiot. Just 25 or 30 bucks, I think, depends on where you want to be in the in the venue per night. Or if you want to go to both nights, because there's back-to-back nights. I believe it's the 15th and 16th. It's 40 bucks if you want to go to both nights. Now, speaking of live music, find a small list of shows that are happening locally here in Vancouver and the area with the indie scene through ToddHancock.ca. If you're going to a show, if you're playing a show, if it's indie, let me know about it. I will put it up at the site and get you some free advertising for the show. Maybe play a song in the podcast as well. Okay. Okay, so let's get to our final guests of this Over the Years podcast, episode 325. This week's entertainment and lifestyle guests are powered by Sacred Meds, Canada's best craft cannabis and psilocybin dispensary by a landslide. Landslide. And yes, they ship anywhere in Canada. Anywhere in Canada. You can get all kinds of things. Obviously, weed and mush, but we're getting into like oils and hash and... Uh, peyote, vapes, they've got shatter and lollipops and uh, all kinds of edibles. It's really impressive. I've had buddies from the Okanagan order and they say get the order probably within a couple, two, three days kind of thing. It's quick. And don't forget though, at registry, the first time you go through their website, mention you heard about them through this podcast, that will open up stuff on their site that normally isn't there. Wink, wink. Upgrade your profile, mentioning the Toddcast through sacredmeds.com. So you'll know Brent Butt for many reasons. Actor, 
comedian, writer. Brent's probably best known for playing Brent Leroy on Corner Gas. That was on CTV. Uh, tell you more about their animated series in just a sec. If you remember the TV show called Hiccups, he created that. He wrote the movie No Clue back in 2013. He put out a novel last year called Huge, which was a psychological thriller about touring comedians. So listen to Brent talk about the idea and how it came to be that Corner Gas became animated. Right. I mean, when we, it, it, the way it came about really was, you know, after we did the, the series, we did six seasons, 107 episodes, the notion, we all kind of liked the idea of coming back in a few years and doing a movie, doing an actual theatrical movie of Corner Gas. Mm. And so that was always on our radar. And that happened five years after the final uh, live action show aired, we, we made this movie. It took us about two and a half years to write it because it, it was a very tricky thing to write. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> really happy with the movie and, and the response to the movie was way more than anybody expected. Like we were like physically selling out theaters. Mm-hmm. None of us expected that. I remember getting a call from my brother in Calgary. Saying, I'm trying to go to your stupid movie and I can't get a ticket. <laughs> I was like, am I supposed oh. to be upset by that? Or Right. <clears throat> so... Anyway, the, the network approached us after the success of the film, and they said, you know, obviously the appetite is still there. People st- still want to see Corner Gas. Do you have any interest in doing more episodes? And we we just kind of didn't. We thought, you know, just coming back and doing more of the same would feel, you know, it would very much feel like kind of a rut. But, you know, it's a nice offer, and, and the notion of being employed is always, you know, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, you know, if we, we even my partners and we started talking about this, if we were to do something, what would we do? And that's when the idea of animation came up. Because we had talked about it once before, of doing an animated scene during the live action show. We did a, uh, an animated Lego version of Corner Gas, like a scene in one of the episodes. Right. And we had talked about doing a regular animated thing. It never came together. It wasn't practical. But So anyway, when we were started kicking around this idea of what could we do, that came up. It was like we started re- revisiting the notion of an animated corner gas. And that was really well done as well. Like, honestly, I might like the animated series better than the original Corner Gas. Brent is arguably one of the most successful Canadian comedians. He's certainly up there anyway. A career that goes back to 1988. He was trying out stand-up comedy at an amateur night in Saskatoon. If that ain't Canadian enough for you, I don't know what is. Then he started performing at Yuck Yucks in Western Canada, then moved to Toronto. It's bigger and bigger and bigger and better. From there, you saw Brent claw his way through performances for CTV, CBC, the Comedy Network, Corner Gas was put out in 2003. In 2008, Brent was given the Comedy Network Sir Peter Ustinov Award, which is presented to recognize a significant body of comedic work. Past recipients include John Cleese, Bob Newhart, Eugene Levy, and John Candy, who Brent says, John Candy, is likely at the top of Canadian comedians all time. I would put John Candy maybe at the top of the pile. Hard to pick a top of the pile of Canadian comedy as it's a long list of uh, hilarious people. But, I mean, that whole cast of SCTV was, uh, you know, what a, what a bunch of 
geniuses piled together all at once. Like that's a, this weird confluence of comedic genius that happened to be in the same place at the same time. From one of Canada's top comedians to September 2021's penthouse pet, Carolina White. It hasn't been very long that Carolina has been posing nude. She's been modeling since her teens and recently thought, why not? Indeed, why not? She considers herself a jack-of-all-trades, having done a bunch of jobs over the years, from managing a med spa, working as a veterinarian surgical tech. Did you know that Buck Cherry singer Josh Todd is a licensed plebotomist? Well, so is Carolina. As mentioned, she's been modeling since her teens, since 15, and always looked up to Cindy Crawford. Well, I started uh, modeling when I was 15, so... I've been more in the mainstream, like fashion side of modeling for a long time. Um, so growing up in the nineties, I'm trying not to give away my age here. No, growing right. up in the nineties, <laughs> obviously looked up to like classic nineties supermodels, like Cindy Crawford and, and, you know, um, people like that. But, you know, it wasn't until about three years ago when I kind of decided to, try other things and kind of explore this, this world and this side of the industry. Yeah. So yeah, I'm happy that I'm able to do both because why not? You know, if you listen to Carolina's full interview, you'll hear her talking about being a big fan of The Walking Dead and how she had a fling with one of the actors. She talked about the shows beyond that that she was binge watching. She talked about writing erotic fiction as a teen. She shared her first concert story, seeing Blink-182. We talked about the places, the best places to vacation. Vegas came up. COVID came up and you'll see that she's more than just a model. She's a model who is a gigantic comic book nerd, especially for Captain America. I think anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge Marvel fan. Oh, you are? Oh God. Yes. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. That's like, I think that anybody that actually like knows me, even as this character, like knows that I'm obsessed with like Captain America and like, just the Avengers in general. So yeah, that's um, after Endgame though, I haven't really followed the storyline. I haven't really gotten into the whole like um, Disney plus Falcon and Winter Soldier, Black Widow. Like I haven't really ventured well, into that. too many to keep up. I mean, even uh, me as a comic book spaz, like when I was a yeah. little kid, that's, I just monopolized my time and there's just yeah. too much to keep up now. It really is. They're they're. I think they're trying to, you know, well, they're, they're doing the same to, thing. They're striking while the iron's hot, right? Like, yeah, no, totally. I get that. But for me, after Endgame, Avengers Endgame, I was just like, that was. Th there's nothing more you can add to that or do to that that's going to make that. They wrapped it up in a perfect little bow yeah. and like sent it on their way. And I, I thought it was beautifully done and it was perfect. So from there, I was kind of like, I'm satisfied. I don't really need to. Um, I don't need anything else. And then they killed Chris Evans. So I'm just like, or yeah. they kill him, but. I yeah, just, yeah. I'm like, oh, now I'm done. From an international model to a worldwide astronaut, retired Canadian astronaut, Commander Chris Hadfield. You're talking engineer, former Royal Canadian Air Force fighter pilot. Chris flew two space shuttle missions. He was the commander of the International Space Station. And when he was a guest, he talked about whether you could see evidence of climate change from space. Yeah, it depends on what scale you mean. Climate change can be local, right? If, if, a, if uh, 7 million people live in the same city, they change the local climate, absolutely. It, it's smog all over the city. Uh, it, it's hotter than normal because of all the pavement. So you can see localized climate change. And then 
uh, the Aral Sea, which used to be the fourth biggest sea on Earth, in the last generation, just in the last 25 years, we've dried that up. We've dried, we've, we've dried up the fourth biggest sea on Earth deliberately because of irrigation policies and to, to try and water the cotton. And so the fourth biggest sea on Earth is gone. And you can see it like a huge blister, a huge scar on Earth. And, of course, it's wildly affected a, a whole region of Kazakhstan and, and the surrounding countries there. And the glaciers that used to rely on the, uh, on the lake effect to get snow, they're, they're receding. So that's, that's man-made climate change on a bigger scale. But globally, it's a little harder because it, it's slow. And you have to compare pictures from from a few years back. And so globally, it's harder to see, just like it is on the surface, just because it's a creeping thing. Mm-hmm. But when you compare the astronauts' pictures of glaciers or or of uh, where the edges of deserts are or the uh, Lake Chad, even um, you can, it's obvious what's what's happening. And, and um, it's easy to stick your head in the sand. But uh, but for those of us who can actually see the world. Um, where you can't get 7 billion people breathing in and out and eating and turning the lights on and flushing the toilets. You don't get that for free. You know, it, that definitely has an effect, and we need to think about it. It's crazy to think, right? Visibly seeing evidence of climate change. Commander Hadfield became the first Canadian to walk in space back in 1995 and the first to operate the Canada Arm. He's flown in three missions, built two space stations, performed two spacewalks, crewed the shuttle. He's also the first person to record an album in space, like out that's going to happen again, or if it does, it won't be very often. Listen to Chris talk about whether he believes that there's alien life form out there. Do I believe there's alien? Well, uh, it's not a belief system. <laughs> it's, not, it's either is, it's, it's one or zero. It's, it's a fact or it's not. So it's not really belief. Um, we have, nobody has seen any evidence of life. Zero. Everything is just hopeful and, and ignorance and, and not knowing what we're looking at. There is, there is no clear evidence of life anywhere else in the universe, but we are looking. And um, so for me, it's just a matter of odds. Uh, we know for sure there's life on Earth. And with our best telescopes, just over the last few years, we started to be able to see planets around other suns. Which, which is brand new for us as a, as a species. We can actually count planets around other suns so that now we can start to know roughly that every star has at least one planet around it. And stars we can see because they're bright enough. So we can start to do the math. And if you count the number of stars in our galaxy and then you start counting galaxies, then you can immediately count it up and realize there are about seven septillion planets that we know of, like a billion, a trillion, a quadrillion, all the way up to a septillion, seven uh, of those. And then that number is so indescribably huge that we just can't imagine it. And yet the odds are seven septillion to one that we're, we're not the only planet with life. So, so I, I think it's overwhelming that the odds that there's got to be life out there somewhere. Uh, but we, we've yet to find any evidence of it. And, and part of the main reason to explore is to see if we're alone or not. And so we're looking on Mars, and we're looking on Enceladus. We went as far as Pluto. All of that is kind of to answer that fundamental question, because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, you know, are, are we alone or not, and what do the distances really mean? And, and if we are the only life in the universe, then shoot, we should be, <laughs> 
we should be a little more responsible about how we act. And from Canada's first spacewalker to a network TV producer and travel writer named Heather Storm. And you'll know Heather as a car lover in a big, big way. Nothing but respect for her. She was a guest on the second year of this podcast. And at the time, she was the host of Garage Squad on Discovery's Motor Trend Network, Street Tuner Challenge on Speed TV, and was a guest on Jay Leno's Garage. Present day, Heather is the creator and host of Drive Yourself Local, where she goes across America in her 65 Mustang looking for small town life. Here she talks about what is the hardest thing about fixing up an older car? Oh, wow. Knowing where to start. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many problems. You know, the older the car is and the longer it's been sitting, the more things that can have gone wrong with it. And you don't know because it's just sitting there. Right. So I'm just kind of figuring out all the nuances and all of the things that are really happening and everything's related. If one thing isn't working, the rest of it isn't working. So really, it literally is figuring out where to start. There's a lot of times where, you know, we're like, well, we, we really can't move forward until we get this piece fixed right here. Mm-hmm. So everything else is on hold until you fix one thing. So I think it's just really understanding how it all fits together and knowing where to start. Most of all, I mean, it does seem kind of basic, but it's true, right? You got to find out what's wrong with the car first, and then you move from there. You've seen Heather in a bunch of TV shows as well, beyond what she hosts, like Nightingale, Epic Movie, Tosh.0. She's been in over 100 commercials. She was a recurring guest mixologist on the Playboy Morning Show as well. We got to talking about a lot of stuff. Her dream car, she shared a near-death story, party nights and the drink of choice. We talked about career highlights and Heather shared her first concert story as well. You know what? In Montana, there weren't very many concerts, so I was like this late bloomer who had never been to concerts. Yeah. As a, as a, in high school, this is awful, but I can't even remember. Come on! What my first concert is, this is horrible, I know. I, I, my brain is, I'm racking, I'm racking. I'm like, I can actually remember that my brother went to Metallica, but I didn't go for some reason mm. in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and Metallica was huge, really huge, um, especially in the 90s in Montana. Yeah, well, so, yeah, worldwide I, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah. That's so, funny, you can't remember your first concert? I can't, I know, I, and I'm going to remember it. Of course, as soon as you, you hang up, yeah. <laughs> Entertainment guest visits are powered by Sacred Meds, Canada's best craft cannabis and psilocybin dispensary. Visit sacredmeds.com.
let's be honest, this night is going to absolutely smoke. Her name is Cat Madden, and a new song for her called Don't Touch Me. Super excited to have Cat playing a podcast, Blue Light Sessions. It's not till April, so there's some time. But on Friday, April 2-6 at the Blue Light Studio, Cat Madden and Summer's brother. Each will get a 45-minute set. The interview, the performance, the intimate and interactive environment as well. You can buy tickets right now. Tickets are up are up through eventbrite.ca. Just 20 bucks in advance. I think this one's going to sell out, so you may want to grab tickets right now to ensure, ensure, make sure that you will get into the show, okay? Uh, through eventbrite.ca. Or if you want to roll the dice, somebody blow on these dice, 25 bucks. If there's still tickets at the door, doors are at seven o'clock, as mentioned a couple times through this podcast. Now show starts at eight, eight 15 ish, something like that. All right. So looking forward to our next podcast, you will hear from 12 guests and the superpowers that they would want to have. Like how cool would that be to have a power unlocking endless possibilities, flying or shooting lasers from your eyes or mind-bending manipulation, teleportation, super strength. It really does. It defies the limits of human beings. I've always thought it'd be super cool to have a power. He's not a guest on next on the next podcast. So check out what Montreal Canadiens forward Alex Newhook said about superpowers. That's a tough one. Um, I think maybe, uh, maybe super speed would be pretty cool. Mm, be able to turn yeah. it on right away. Yeah, that'd be nice. He's already pretty quick. Alex Newhook with super speed would be lethal. Next podcast, next podcast, which superpower would you want to have? 12 guests will pick their powers. And with that, let's put this one to bed this week going over the years of the podcast. We're into year 10 now, and there's just been so many great guests to highlight. And honestly, this podcast went wildly longer than I'd ever anticipated. I honestly didn't think that I'd even get to year three. And I do appreciate you being there. Uh, My name is Todd Hancock. Thank you so much for listening, for being there, for letting your friends know about us as well. We see it daily on social media. Lots of sharing, lots of commenting. We love that, of course, big time. It's all about that. It's all about engaging and, and interacting you know, with people that are listening and following along. We are part of the Realm FM network, Realm.fm network, based out of New York City, worldwide distribution. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Megaphone. You can see all of our interviews, all the videos from our live shows at the Blue Light Studio at our YouTube channel. Comment and rate the podcast. It helps out. Search it out through Toddcast Podcast, of course. Huge thanks to all of our excellent sponsors. You can find links to all sponsor websites at toddhancock.ca. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast with your business, you can for as little as 10 bucks a day. Contact info is at the homepage. And as always, help us find a sponsor and we'll give you a commission. Like what? Did I just hear that right? Yeah. Commission. Till next time. Don't be an asshole. Nobody wants to be around that. Have fun play hard, and most of all, believe in yourself. You've been listening to the Toddcast Podcast, powered by Citywide Mortgage Services, dedicated to helping you find the best mortgage rates, available seven days a week at citywidemortgage.ca. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with Season 2 of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you.
Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.